Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number, what are we up to, 1422, which is entitled Wednesday Woes. (laughs) Our podcast title is Strange New Pods, or I could equally entitle it The Edgar Allan Pod, but we won't say that, never more. I'm Rob Jan. And Megan Mickey. And today we are going to look at Star Trek Strange New Worlds. And also Wednesday, although it's Monday, but we're going to look at Wednesday as well. First off, I'd like to update you on NASA's Artemis test flight, which uh, on the 16th of November launched an unmanned Orion crew capsule from Earth's surface to orbit the moon paving the way for later crewed flights and landings and the placement of the Gateway Lunar Orbital Space Station around dear old Selene, but not Dion. Uh, Launched 10 CubeSats. What do people see when they have those coming at them in space? Do they see like Borg cubes? It's like, oh. Hope not. (laughs) One of which was the outstanding moon exploration technologies demonstrated by Nano Semi-Hard Impactor, or Omo Tenashi, which was a mini lunar lander, as you can probably gather, created by the Japanese Space Agency. And the acronym adds up to a Japanese word related to Sado, which is to say the tea ceremony. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it means to wholeheartedly look after guests. Oh. Must be too busy brewing a cuppa to answer their phone because after deployment from the Artemis uh, reported unstable communications with the spacecraft and eventually it's been reported that the solar cells on the CubeSat failed to orientate towards the sun, causing power and comms failure. A few of the other CubeSats have experienced problems but most are okay. So that little lander is not going to do its job, unfortunately. Uh, Artemis 1 itself is on day 19 of its 25-day mission, mm-hmm. about to depart from lunar orbit and return to Earth for a projected splashdown in the Pacific Ocean uh, on December 11. So good luck mm. to the ship and all of the mannequins <laughs> and plush toys. Tucked inside, yes. Tucked inside. <laughs> Hi, this is Scott Bakula. Welcome aboard Zero G. On free triple R FM. Yeah, we had Lindsay Sterling there fiddling away in space with Artemis from an album of the same name. Now, from our small but plucky spacecraft, we swish on out, a whoosh on out into the stars with Star Trek Strange Dear Worlds, Paramount Plus screening. All uh, 
10 or so episodes, I think. Another Star Trek. Another Star Trek, yeah. Quite chuffed at that. And we will be watching that. I have watched five episodes so far. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which actually seems to me to be well enough to sum up what I feel about the show. Okay. All right, so it's created by three people, basically, as part of the Star Trek franchise. Akiva Goldsman, who's got a long CV <laughs> going back to... <laughs> some of these aren't so good, some of them are. Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. Uh, I Am Legend, I, Robots, DC's Titans series. Uh, also scripts, adaptations for Da Vinci Code, Angels and Demons, uh, A Beautiful Mind. Uh-huh. So yep. there's an Oscar... Mm-hmm. Connection there, as well as Fringe, the television mm. series, and obviously Picard and, and so on, so Star Trek connections there. Alex Kurtzman also there, uh, been associated with the Trek franchise since 2009. Yep. Uh, did work on the Transformers scripts and also J.J. <laughs> Abrams' Star Trek scripts. Ah, yes. The amazing Spider-Man 2. Uh, director and co-writer of the dreadful 2017 The Mummy. Um, but also co-creator of Discovery, Picard, Short Treks, Lower Decks and Prodigy, and now SNW, which sounds a lot mm. like SNL, but not quite. Uh, teamed with Robert Orchie a lot, who's a writing partner. Mm-hmm. Uh, worked on Hercules, The Legendary Journeys, Xena, Warrior Princess, Lock and Key yep. and Clarice. Nice, nice. As well. Jenny Lumet is also in the mix of the creative people behind this show, American actress and screenwriter, and, yes, daughter of director Sydney Lumet, mm-hmm. and uh, perhaps best known for writing the screenplay of the 2008 Jonathan Demme film Rachel Getting Married. Oh. Was also a script doctor for The Mummy, <laughs> ah. but obviously didn't do enough healing. Uh, was a Star Trek Discovery staffer since 2018, uh, consulting producer and so on, wrote her one of the first Short Treks mini-episodes, Runaway. Uh, also a co-creator, executive producer on the Man Who Fell to Earth series. Oh, yes. And, you know, so quite, and Clarice as well, so quite a few credits there. Now, this Star Trek New Worlds is for the streaming service Paramount+. Plus. Mm-hmm. It is the 11th. Mm. Star Trek live action Andor, mm. but not that Andor, animated television series. So, thinking about that whole sort of franchise, it's like, you know, we now have this thing that's like Robin Hood or King Arthur or Sherlock Holmes mm. or Tarzan, uh, Star Wars, Doctor Who. It's there among yeah. the top 10 mythological part of the zeitgeist of the time shows. So this one, because I know we've had uh, other networks do like the Discovery series and there was also the Picard series. Are they all being done by different creative teams? Uh, Now they're not. It's all being put together right under the Disney. Uh, sorry, under the Paramount Plus logo. Yeah. Not Disney. They haven't right. conquered everything. So no, no other networks will really be making Star Trek stuff anymore because it's it's quite interesting actually that a lot of the different Star Trek things have been made by different networks. Having said that, now I'm doubting it. <laughs> <laughs> so. I will have a look further into that. I'm intrigued, yeah, because yeah. I think it, it does seem like um, there's a few different parallel things going on, which isn't yeah. bad. Now, this is actually spinning off from Star Trek Discovery. 
must be that the way the uh, the sources section rotates very fast. <laughs> Lots of spin-offs. Uh, and it also kind of serves as picking up the original unsuccessful pilot that preceded the first Star Trek series into its free season run. Uh, yeah, yeah. And that pilot was The Cage, and it starred Jeffrey Hunter as Captain Christopher Pike mm-hmm. commanding the Starship Enterprise. Now, I'm being unfair calling that a failed pilot, as it was practically unheard of that you'd make a second pilot after the first one was rejected. Mm. But they believed in the concept and, you know, Desi Lu and, and, and all yeah. of that. And uh, they uh, contemplated the record-breaking span of that pilot from 1965 to now. So it's uh. like, we did a pilot in 65 and now that pilot is picked up in 2022. <laughs> wow. <laughs> now, because the cage was later incorporated into a two-episode story, set within the original series, Mm -hmm. so that's uh, classic Trek as we call it, Um, it uh, became the Menagerie Part 1 and Part 2. Very unusual to have two parters in the old Star Trek. Um, Captain Pike was easily transformed into the captain of the Enterprise Mm -hmm. before Captain Kirk. So it kind of runs like, you know, the original Enterprise is like uh, Captain Robert April Mm -hmm. and then Captain Pike and then Captain Kirk. April Mm -hmm. showed up in the... Uh, first animated series back in the 1970s. Uh, but now he is an admiral in yeah. uh, this show as well. Hmm. <laughs> I went a little bit Shatner then <laughs> as well, yeah. Okay, so let's hear the um, the credo, the main title of Star Trek, Strange New Worlds, with uh, Christopher Pike, Anson Mount, doing oh. the oh. boldly go. Very nice. He's a sick man. This is where sick people come. Zero G is fun, as you were. Well, I am not the sick man today. (laughs) I am Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And here we are talking about Star Trek Strange New Worlds on uh, Paramount+. Plus. Yes. And as for who makes these things, I went and confused things. Mm -hmm. Paramount does own the rights to Star Trek. So they've actually been involved in all of these series. It's confusing for us because they stream on different services in Australia before we got Paramount+. Plus. So both Picard and Star Trek Discovery were done by CBS Studios, which is Paramount's television division. So Paramount's always owned all of of this they've been pushing out the different series but the way for us to see them here in au up until paramount plus was launched was across netflix amazon prime etc mm. so maybe different creative teams but overall the rights do all sit within under the paramount banner and it's all very complicated now because there's so many streaming services and you know i mean my wallet's a limited sort of space it's not a tardis it's not bigger mm-hmm. on the inside and the I'm mixing my franchises here, but that's all right. We do that all the time on Zero G. The thing is that, uh, you know, I couldn't justify putting another service on. So what I did is I I picked this one up temporarily as a Black Friday-related deal through Amazon Prime. So, Mm. you know, it's like $1.99 a month for it was. It's all very complicated. I I do really just want one service so I can create my own channel, you know, but they're not going to let me do that. It's like... Yeah, or even though you can buy one track off an album on iTunes, you know, so I don't know. Anyway, enough of that. So Strange New World, it is set in the 23rd century in the Star Trek Coda. Mm -hmm. Working out where it sits in the chronology is probably easier than it is with a Star Wars one. (laughs) So basically this is taking place about, you know, eight or so years before Captain Kirk's Star Trek series. Right. Even though we're like... 50 Decades, years decades on. later. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a prequel. Yeah. 
but it does take place after Star Trek Enterprise. Yes, right, okay. So we've Captain Archer and all his, his crew, um, which was set on an earlier Enterprise, not the same one. Gotcha. So, all right, we've got this new ship and uh, we've got Anson Mount playing Captain Christopher Pike. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've seen him before uh, playing Black Bolt in the MCU. Yes. The uh, King of the Inhumans. But we also saw him in the Inhumans television series. Ah. Uh, as that that character. Yep. But uh, he's an alternate universe black bolt in yes. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, one of the Illuminati ruling cabal of superheroes, mm-hmm. and gets pretty short shift from the Scarlet Witch. He gets a pretty rough ending in that one, to be honest. He does. Yeah. Well, they all did, really. They all did, yes. <laughs> yes. The idea is, of course, to show how powerful yes. Witchy Poo was. And... He was really good in the Inhumans television series. Mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. character of Black Bolt can't actually uh, vocalise because if he does, his superpower is it's a sonic cannon, basically, his voice. Right. And he can destroy, like, mountains and maybe even planets with that. So throughout that entire television series, the Inhumans, he doesn't really speak. It's all got to be face, facial yep. expression and yep. so on. And, uh, and mm-hmm. ASL as well. Cool. And... It's a remarkable performance, and you can see why he took that on. Yeah. Because, you know, it's like an actor's tour de force. Uh, he is a bit more vocal in Star Trek as the captain, <laughs> and we've also heard him speaking of vocals playing Bruce Wayne and Batman in the Injustice animated oh. uh, <laughs> DC thing. Cool. He's also been in Lost and Smallville and uh, played Cullen Bohannon in the NBC series Conviction. Okay. He's a really good actor. You can tell why they anchored him into this with the show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, he's also he's a, a Renaissance man as well, is Anson Mount. He's a member of the board of the METI, which is Messaging Extraterrestrial Intelligence. <laughs> so, you know, following Shatner's footsteps into space, actually, in a way, into real space in real life. Um, he has got a great hairstyle in this show, which has been nicknamed Pike's Peak. <laughs> uh, which makes him look like, oh, I don't know, somebody like uh, some cartoon character and, and sometimes, and it sort of changes heights. It's very dashing, I think. It is. It's extremely dashing. He's a <laughs> dashing captain of the Enterprise. We saw him in action in Star Trek Discovery, and he was so popular mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that people wanted to see more of him. Nice. And so that we have got what we asked for here. Now... He has a tragedy in his background as a character. Mm, We're actually in his foreground, no, future ground. During Star Trek Discovery, he was able to see about 10 years into his future. Right. And we know from classic Trek that Captain Pike was supervising a a cadet training mission Mm. and a reactor baffle plate blew out Mm -hmm. and he was horribly burned Mm. and his nervous system was destroyed basically. So he was confined, paralysed, not able to talk or do much more than activate a light. Yeah. Which always seems to to, uh, signify yes or no to answers of questions. Uh, And it was a horrible fate for the dashing captain back then. Yeah. And uh, the events of that play out in the Menagerie episode in Classic Trek, if you want to go back and pick up on that there, with a different actor playing Pike, of course. And it's a a terrible, terrible fate, which he managed to step up to Mm. in Discovery. 
and you saw him visibly pull himself together mm. as he knew had this horrible thing hanging over him. I also always wondered about that because the Star Trek medical technology is hugely advanced mm. and I wondered why they couldn't, like, for example, transfer his consciousness to an android or clone him a body or do all sorts of things, but they, they couldn't. Mm. It must have been the radiation captain. Uh, anyway, he has to come to terms with that during the course of this first season of Strange New Worlds. Interesting. And perhaps maybe sideline that somehow because it is Star Trek and, you know, there's no fate for what you make. Here's a great captain. He rules by barbecue. (laughs) So he, like, has captain's table meetings in his cabin, which is significantly larger than Jim Kirk's was. (laughs) (laughs) And and they're great. Here's a a great character. I'm full of praise for him. He's one of the fine tradition Mm. Starfleet captains that we've seen before. You know, I don't say he's my favourite or whatever because, you know, I'm like that with Doctor Who too. I just enjoy all of them. But he's certainly up there as a great one. Nice. And Rebecca Romaine plays Una Chin Riley or number one, his executive officer. And here's the thing. If any of you people out there – and it is remarkable that I've run across Star Trek fans who are bigots. Mm. How is that even possible? You mean about like not wanting female characters or? Yeah, actual mm. sexist and racist and yeah. right wing. It's an extraordinary. I, I cannot imagine how you can even reconcile that with a love of Star Trek. I mean, maybe they're Klingon fans, really. I don't know. I'm a Klingon fan and I'm not like that. <laughs> anyway, if they're looking forwards to a Star Trek that returns to the 1960s, and let's face it, folks, the 1960s weren't exactly the most racist and sexist decade, especially as they were embracing all sorts of mm. new wave progressive tropes and, uh, and, and things. So the bridge of the new enter- this enterprise is very much uh, orientated towards women. Mm. There are many characters aboard the ship and all of the important ones on the bridge are women, apart Mm. from Mr Mm. Spock. So, okay, Rebecca Romaine plays Una Chin Riley, number Mm -hmm. one, the executive officer. And she's an American actress and former model. We know her as Mystique in the X-Men movies, or one of them at least. Uh, And she was also a character in the Punisher movie in 2004. Uh, She's been in a movie called Femme Fatale. Or is that a series in 2002? Uh, But she's also in uh, Ugly Betty as a character called Alexis Mead. Now, in the original Star Trek, Major Barrett played number one, Mm -hmm. never given a name in the show, Mm -hmm. and later Nurse Chapel uh, or Dr Chapel as they went forwards because she was Gene Roddenberry's wife. Right. So they (laughs) created another role for her. And also she's the, uh, the voice of the ship's computers in Star Trek. Right. Mm-hmm. across multiple franchises. But here, uh, Rebecca is just playing the one, number one, or at least I assume so, because there's another actress playing Christine Chapel. I wonder if they'll have a play with that at some stage. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, having um, Chris Evans play um, the Human Torch and also Captain America oh, or something yeah, like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so she's the first officer, second in command, and she has a past in this story too. Uh, she's an Illyrian, which means that she's been involved in uh, that planet's genetic engineering experiments, uh, which means that she is at odds with Starfleet's policy about genetic engineering. Right. Uh, planet Earth was badly, badly burnt, literally. 
when we did genetic engineering in the 21st century, mm-hmm. uh, creating supermen like Khan. Right, uh, yes. And so there's actually Khan. a prejudice against it and okay. a regulation against it too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that gives her a backstory that will yeah, be right. complicated. A beautiful character in this show, um, n- not just visually. She's very tall. She's like um, uh, Gwendolyn Christie. And she has presence, commanding presence. You buy her totally as the first officer. Yep. She's a little bit straight-laced because of the importance of her position. Uh, but she learns to loosen up as time goes by. And they do actually give her a hairstyle at one stage referencing the beehive oh. hairstyles from yeah, the 1960s. Yeah, I didn't recognise her because she's, she's a brunette in this. Yeah. Uh, and she works well with everybody, but she has that gravity of command because she's like the William Riker of this ship, mm, the 2 IC. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ethan Peck uh, plays... Mr. Spock once again. Yes, grandson of uh, Gregory Peck and uh, Greta Kukkonen. Interesting. And um, he he played a young Spock in Star Trek Discovery in 2019. So you've got like um, all of these things there. Mm. You know, I've got Zachary Quinto. So it is really this is a spin-off of Discovery in a Mm. way. Yeah. And Leonard Nimoy. Uh, So, you know, this is a... A role that I thought he played quite well. Mm. It makes sense that he's playing Spock. He's got the looks for it. Yep, he looks good as Spock. Uh, but he is his own man in this mm. too. Yeah, he's got his own take on the character, which is... is or I should say nice. own man and half human. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he's also got uh, a relationship in this story with T'Pring, mm-hmm. uh, a full Vulcan. He's half human and half Vulcan, which is a... Another um, hook for drama. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, he faced, oddly enough and illogically enough, um, prejudice when growing up on Vulcan. Mm-hmm, he is, of course, mm-hmm. the uh, the adoptive brother, or sorry, she, the brother of uh, Michael Burnham from the Star Trek Discovery series, who is lost to right. him now. She's gone into the future. So he's got all of these things Gosh, that he brings. It's all very tangled in a way, isn't it? Yeah. All referencing original classic Trek, there was an episode called A Mock Time where they introduced his fiancée to Pring in mm. that. Um, and again, spot on Spock, basically. Mm, mm. But his own own His own take. Interpretation. Yeah, I like that. Uh, Jess Bush plays Christine Chappell. She's an Australian actor, a model and a visual artist. Mm-hmm. And get this, she makes encapsulated sculptures from dead bees. Oh, wow. Not That's the Christine. Cool. Yeah, but, you know, she'd fit in well with Eugene from uh, the Wednesday series. <laughs> she also competed on the seventh season of Australia's Next Top Model and has been on, as everyone else in Australian acting has been, home and away. It's a decent launch pad. Yeah. So she is actually wow. a really crusty kind of nurse chapel. She's a live wire. Mm-hmm. She can be counted upon to say the wrong thing <laughs> at the right time. Oh, that's a bit fun. And the right thing at the wrong time. And she's got a twinkle in her eye. Oh, I think I recognise her. She's very much, she, you know, mm-hmm. if you didn't know that she was Australian, to play to a stereotype, you'd suspect that she was. Mm. <laughs> so um, Now... She actually is um, a civilian nurse on the Enterprise at this stage. Mm-hmm. I don't know quite how they work that out. So she's not wearing the um, the, the, the uh, traditional uniform. But there right. are many different tracks into Starfleet. It's not this straight interpretation of the military. Mm. She's a great character and she has uh, budding feelings for Mr Spock. Oh, okay. 
Mm. Another person with a backstory is uh, actress Christ, the English actress Christina Chong, who plays Lieutenant Lan Nunian Singe. And yes, that is, she is a descendant of Khan. Uh, so she's had prejudice on Earth in her, or maybe not on Earth, but in the Federation yep. because of her genetic her, engineered yep, yep. background. Although she obviously doesn't qualify, hmm. um, she's disclosed that she's genetically, that right. she's from that line. Um, we've seen her before the actress in uh, Halo, Black Mirror, Doctor Who, Johnny English Reborn, hmm. um, and a medical series called Monroe. And uh, she's also in the sci-fi series Dominion, uh, where she plays an archangel uh, corpse. That is to say, not a corpse. Oh, I won't even go into it. It's too complicated. But as with Tasha Yar on Next Generation, she's had a hellish childhood. Mm. Um, not only from uh, being an ancestor of Khan. Yeah. Which, yeah. <laughs> but she also survived a Gorn attack. The Gorns are a lizard... Uh, Saurian alien race. You've saw, seen them in classic Trek in arena. You've probably seen pictures of this lizard-like monster stalking yeah. Captain Kirk. Yeah, yeah. At Vasquez Rocks in um, <laughs> outside of LA, and uh, they really push the Gorn as villains in this first season. Right. Well, that's actually a question I had around: Is this like a uh, sort of a story per episode thing, or is it a one season arc? Yes, and both? yes, and no. Okay. Um, a lot more than the original classic Trek, which sort of mm. went episode reset. Yes, you know. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, there is. A, there are arcs within yeah. the character arcs within these things. Right. Um, she gets on quite well with number one. They're both quite reserved to start with. And uh, we've got Cecilia Rose Gooding playing Uhura, mm-hmm. uh, an ensign at this stage in this interpretation, following on from Nichelle. Uh, Nick, I have to go back there. Nichelle Nichols' um, definitive performance originally as uh, Uhura in the series and the movies mm-hmm. and, of course, uh, Zendaya's performance. Uh, not Zendaya. Um, Zoe Saldana. Zoe Saldana. Saldana, Zendaya, you know. I, I have the same problem with Penelope Cruz and um, Catherine zeta <laughs> But anyway, uh, she is playing Uhura and uh, she comes from a musical singing and dancing background. Mm, nice. So, which is interesting because it's like Nichelle Nichols uh, playing there. She had the same kind of background as well. Um, she has a full three-dimensional character in, in this. Good. Uh, not relegated <laughs> to the background, not relegated to saying hailing frequencies open. Mm. But they really do drill it down upon her linguistic abilities in, in oh, this nice. show. And the fact that she's on a command track, so she's um, spending time in different departments like engineering and so on. Very good. And she, yeah. That's cool. Melissa Navia plays Erica Ortegas. Uh, she's the um, uh, helmswoman uh, in the ship, or helmsman. I forget they don't um, differentiate uh, on in their ranks and, uh, and duties there. And uh, she's kind of like number one. Mm-hmm. That is to say, Jonathan Frakes is uh, William Riker in Next Gen. Yeah. Uh, but she's really sort of um, laconic and... Uh, She's the one, again, who will comment upon things on the bridge. Mm. You know, like, oh, we're going to do exactly what the science officer said would be certain death. 
<laughs> Just like a bit of the audience perspective piping up the chorus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Babs, Ollis uh, and Mokkan plays Dr. Mumbenga, um, who we originally saw in Star Trek, classic Trek in, back in the day. Okay. Um, he has been in uh, Black Mirror in the Black Museum episode and um, the Max Payne 3 video game. But we also know him as playing Jarmus in Dune. He got killed by Zendaya in ah. that particular aspect. Uh, remember, it was the one who got, gets challenged. No, oh. Sorry, he gets... Um, early on? Early on. Yeah, early on, Jarmus. Who does kill him in that? Oh, it's Paul Moadib, sorry. Yeah, yeah I yeah, think Paul. I don't... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I, but which is strange because he's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, <laughs> the actor. <laughs> so he's a medical officer, so he's like oh, the, cool. the, the proto-Dr. McCoy in this. And he has a secret too. Oh, they've all got a backstory. Uh, including the, um, the chief engineer, uh, Bruce Horak, plays an Andorian uh-huh. called Hammer. Now, Bruce Horak has uh, lost 90% of his eyesight due to a childhood cancer. Uh-huh. We have uh-huh. seen him before as uh, a character in Warehouse 13. Uh-huh. And he's a, a particular um, the character he's playing as an albino subspecies of Andorian that are generally depicted as blind. However, in this case, because the Andorians have sensitive antenna mm. on the tops of their head, um, this is in no way really a, a handicap to his role as engineer. <laughs> so, you know, more interesting characters there. Let's talk about the show itself. Uh, Should we listen to a track first? Um, no, I think I'll just plough straight All into right. it. Worthy successor to Classic Trek or mm-hmm. perhaps in a prequel. Oh, who knows how he want to deal with that. Um, but with today's sensibilities, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, witness the uh, the the gender um, balance of the main bridge crew. Yeah, and actually having stories, backstories, arcs, things yep. to do, etc. Yep. yep. Uh, at the same time, it's very reverential of the original Star Trek. Yes, mm-hmm. it looks like a much more sophisticated enterprise. Yeah, it's. I, I was looking at some of the set photos because I wanted to see how the bridge looked and everything, and I think it's actually a nice mixture of giving that like sci-fi feeling but with a bit of the retro edge. I don't know, yes. it still seems you can place it still, yep. which sounds yeah. such a weird comment, but I like the mixture. Set and prop design aesthetics you can see have... The influences, yeah, they've just kind of upped the ante on some of the classic look. The cheese graters on the ends of the aft ends of the nacelle caps are there um, from the cage mm, enterprise. Mm. They've got, and yet at the same time, they've got the Aztec pattern mm. on the hull plates, yeah, which is even integrated into the story at one stage where um, a couple of the crew go out to sign their names as part of a little sort of thing called Enterprise Bingo, on the furthest unreplaced hull plate from the bridge, which is called the Scorch, and people go out there on the hull of the ship and sign their names on it. It's a beautiful moment, actually, in the story where there is a solar sailing ship flying past the Enterprise, like a tall ship in space. Oh, cool. the, The visuals, I have... No hesitation in saying these are some of the most incredible you've seen in Star Trek Mm. so far. Uh, They pivot well from seriously creepy episodes involving the Gorn to a straight-out humorous one where two characters get their minds swapped. I like that. I like that you can do the dark and light thing. And they're not just uh, homaging classic Trek. They're also doing Next Generation, which is very well known for its mm. A, B and C plots. Yes, right. Yep. They did that. They're homaging Lower Decks because like yes. the animated cartoon show, the, uh, well. 
uh, Uhura has a bunk bed in a shared dorm on the ship, just like Lower Decks. Um, It's a very lyrical show, I found. It really does cleave to classic Trek tropes a lot. Um, I love it. I'm not going to go too much. I'm not going to go into the individual episodes, but we've got first contacts with aliens. Uh, We've got um, a submarine movie in space like Balance of Terror and Wrath of Khan. Sign me up. Yeah, we've got... The horrible Gorn, who mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. exceptionally nasty in, in this show. Um, we've got social commentary. They talk about Good. how America fought two civil wars. Oh, that's a bit too real, isn't it? It is too. <laughs> uh, they do go to strange new worlds and meet lots of aliens who are very, very different, as well as some old fiends and perhaps some old friends. It, but I won't go into that. It sounds great. I feel like the vibe looks great. I like the sound of the cast and, you know, that it's, yeah, you up the ante on being a little bit more progressive. Um, I, I even like the sound effects. They, they yeah. are very dead set classic Trek sounds, in parts. Sounds great. Mm, it is. It is the... I, know, I can't say it's the best of the Star Trek shows I've seen because they all build upon each other. And they're all kind of taking a different tack in yeah. a way. Like I think they're all doing something slightly different. Yeah. So yeah. interesting. Okay. Strange New World Star Trek on uh, Paramount. Uh, Paramount Plus. There's too many pluses <laughs> out there. All right. Let's um, go for a quick track. And there's a reason why I'm playing this one now. It is The Spirit of Independence. Mm-hmm. It's that wonderful send-up comedy duo, folk duo, Garfunkel and Oates at a, an independent filmmaking festival competition. And so they're doing a bit of an homage to uh, independent films. And Megan will tell us why we're playing this after that. This is Robert O'Reilly. Welcome aboard the cruise ship Zero G on Triple R F M. Kapla! La Chakwa Ship? <laughs> I love it. Got a cruise ship? I love it. <laughs> Is that what I said? <laughs> yeah. Yes, welcome aboard with the dead Chancellor Robert O'Reilly, otherwise known as Gowron from Stovacor. And with you now on Zero G on Free Triple R FM, along with the only living Klingon Chancellor, General Martok. That's me, J.G. Hertzler. Today is a good day to listen. We do not forgive or forget. Kapla! Yes. <laughs> Klingons are best served bold. And we had a track there, Garfunkel and Oates, The Spirit of Independence. And why did we play that, Meg? Yes, so we played that because Ricky Lindholm uh, starred in Garfunkel and Oates. Was that the name of the series? Yes. yes. So she starred in that TV series and she also appears in the latest of the Adams adaptations, Tim Burton's Wednesday, which is on Netflix, all episodes out now. So we thought we'd have a little bit of a chat about that. Rob, you introed it a couple of shows ago. You'd been checking yep. it out and enjoying. So I thought we'd just run through a little bit more and, and tell you a bit more about it, especially if, like me, you grew I grew up with, like, Adams Family... Adam's family values. I have very strong emotional nostalgic connection. So I was intrigued to see how I would take to this new series, but it is quite different in what it's doing to those 90s movies. So very highly anticipated. It's been talked about for a while, largely because of Tim Burton's involvement. It is, of course, based on Charles Adams' cartoons about the Adams family, a darkly comic, weird kind of gothic family uh, that goes very different to the mainstream. 
This one focuses on the daughter, Wednesday, as it is so titled. And, of course, because Burton's involved, he pulls in some of his classic collaborators, which includes Danny Elfman, who composed the main title theme, and then Elfman went on to collaborate on the score with Chris Bacon. So Tim Burton uh, is executive producing this one. He directed half of the episodes, so there's eight episodes in all, and he directed the first four. This is technically what we're going to call his first time doing TV, so very interesting. Uh, this show was created and is show run um, by the longtime creative partners Alfred Goff and Miles Miller. So you might recognise their credits mm. because they did Smallville, which mm. was the Superman TV adaptation. Very kind of teen-centric show but with all of the Superman lore on top. Uh, and they've also both worked on Into the Badlands, the Shannara Chronicles, which is based on a Terry Brooks trilogy, and they did some writing credits on Shanghai Noon and Spider-Man 2. Huh. So you can kind of feel their influence here if you are familiar with Smallville. Smallville. I think you will, like, clock some similar notes. And I think something they really wanted to do was step outside and do something different to what the films did. And I think that's yeah. smart because those films are quite beloved. It, um, it's actually amazing how much they've managed to expand upon um, Chaz Adams' one-panel cartoons. Yeah. Because you know, I, I, I didn't grow up, <laughs> uh, but I was experienced the Adams Family television show in the 1960s. Mm, with, yes, um, of course. Yep, um, yep. John Aston and Carolyn Jones. Yeah. And to me, that's the iconic one. But then I also love the 90s movies. With, yes. And again, they're doing something a little bit different, as is this. And this is kind of because it's centred on Wednesday. It's much more of a coming-of-age comedy supernatural teen story. Uh, a classic kind of fish out of water at a school for fish out of water. So uh, it's, it's very much centred around a school academy experience and the classic small town v strange outsiders kind of dynamic. So... I think we'll talk a little bit more about um, the cast and the vibe of the show, but let's hear a little bit of that. We'll hear the main titles from Danny Elfman for Wednesday, mm -hmm. which is on Netflix now. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about Wednesday. As I mentioned before, uh, its tone is a little different to actually what I was expecting. I don't know what I thought it would be, but it makes a lot of sense when you look at it's going to be focused on Wednesday. So... Uh, early on, we set up quite a few things. Um, we set up that Wednesday, uh, this Wednesday, Adams has psychic visions, uh, that she's both protective and derisive of her brother, Pugsley, who we also know and love. Uh, and these two elements kind of come together to lead her to being expelled from her high school for an incident, a swimming pool incident, which I thought was a pretty great, strong season opener, to be honest, and set a bit of the tone and also gave us a sense of what Jenna Ortega, who plays Wednesday, what her Wednesday was going to be like, because this is a pretty tricky role to step into, I think. And um, it kind of she had a chance to set her the tone for that in the first couple scenes here. So Wednesday gets expelled and then sent off to Nevermore Academy. Now, Nevermore Academy is a place, as I mentioned before, for outcasts, the supernatural um, fish out of water and the people that are a little bit strange. So it's also where her parents uh, went to school and it's, like I said, a place for supernatural misfits. Uh, and so it's kind of about her finding her place there, learning how and when to play with others, uh, despite or with the help of her own eccentricities. But, of course, we can't just have it be that. It's also about solving a beastly 
murder mystery as mm. well. So we kind of set all this up. It definitely gave me um, straight away like similar vibes to the Adventures of Sabrina, the Sabrina series that was on Netflix. Yep. Um, and also the Riverdale before Riverdale got really off the rails. So this is kind of the realm of type of show that we're talking about. Um, and as I mentioned, yeah, Jenna Ortega, who plays Wednesday, uh, she's she's really fantastic. I think she, as I said, stepped into a pretty tricky role. And the creators of this did want a Latina actress to play Wednesday, which is in line with the character's actual heritage. Um, and so Ortega learned to do a range of things with a role, like play cello, uh, fencing, archery, German, uh, and all to kind of embody this Wednesday, which has her very own essence of... Um, I, re- I also saw something where she doesn't blink. She tries she doesn't. not to she, blink. She would give the Doctor Who weeping angels a run yeah, for their money. It's pretty impressive. And she also does a lot of the uh, Norman Bates end of Psycho stare through the eyebrows. <laughs> she gives a lot of that as well. But uh, she's more than just those kind of gimmicky uh, gimmicky acting tropes. She's. I think she does a really great job of mm. doing her own take on... A very deadpan, derisive, but very comedic as well. Wednesday, um, did you recognise her from Iron Man Three, where she played the president's daughter? No, <laughs> I did neither, and I don't think we were meant to. But since that, she's also been in quite a few different things. She was in the Netflix series You, and she's done a lot of horror. She was in the latest Scream reboot, which I really liked. Um, her in. I felt so-so on the film, but I thought she was good in it. And she's also going to be in the next Scream film, Scream 6. And and she was also in X, which is another horror movie, Insidious Chapter 2 and The Babysitter, Killer Queen. She's older than Wednesday. Yes, yes, yep, yep. And she's also done a range of Disney properties as well. So that's um, our Wednesday. And then, of course, we'll just run through briefly um, a couple of the other key players that we see. I mentioned Ricky Lindholm before, who plays Wednesday's therapist. She's, good, good luck to that. <laughs> I know. She's a lovely kind of um, – they do the classic juxtaposition of, you know, the very gothic Wednesday in, in you know, the world as we know it. So just that they really play off the contrast of her being in these classic scenarios, so this beautiful kind of um, – uh, therapist's office, it's kind of all cream and beige and then Wednesday sitting there in her full get-up. So Lynn Tom plays uh, Wednesday's therapist. Good on her for trying that. <laughs> um, and that's uh, quite a bit at the behest of Gwendolyn Christie who plays um, the principal of Nevermore Academy. So she also has a little bit of uh, backstory with the Adams family or specifically Morticia Adams as well. And we recognise her from her classic roles in Star Wars, Game of Thrones and The Sandman. And she is such a close horse in this. She's, oh, her style is amazing. They've really, they like the great curls. She's got little head scarves. She's really leaning into the whole British thing. Uh, she's British, of course. And so she is having a really great time here, I think. Mm. Oh, and by the way, Weems is the name of a character in one of Charles Adams' one-panel cartoons. I don't know why I'm telling you that, but it's just like this little grab right, that they've done. Yeah, it's like... We would like a little Easter egg. Um, and then, of course, one of the big um, players to mention is Chris- Christina Ricci does return to this adaptation. She, of course, played Wednesday in my beloved 90s films. She plays Marilyn Thornhill, who teaches botany at Nevermore Academy, and she kind of trots out and says, you know, 
She's kind of the dorm mother. Uh, her role was originally going to be played by Thora Birch, which I thought was interesting. And then Birch stepped away from the project and Christina Ricci was brought on. And I think obviously that's worked out well. Not Nothing against Thora Birch, but was happy to see Ricci here. Um, I think probably the other main person to mention, she's got, Wednesday has a range of, I was going to say schoolmates, but that's probably a stretch, (laughs) Uh, a range of people she goes to school with, uh, including, but not limited to Enid, who is her, uh, colorful werewolf roommate, uh, and attempts to become her friend, uh, uh, despite Wednesday is really like, has a, a pretty high walls up and yes, Enid is definitely trying to crack through those with her upbeat um, kind of demeanour, although and, she... And, and actual colour palette. Yes, and she's got, her own, she's got her own thing she's working through, though, so definite odd couple vibes between them. She's a, a, a not-quite-there wolf. Yes, bless her. <laughs> she's trying to find her own way of coming into her, her destiny. Um, and then we have a range of... There's sirens at the school. We've got a classic mean girl siren. We've also got vampires at the school. And we've got, I think, a couple of the other key characters to mention would be... Um, what's his name? Uh, Xavier. Mm-hmm. So um, Artist. Yes, artist and probably a little bit more as well. So he's played by Percy Hines-White and um, crosses paths with uh, Wednesday fairly early on and becomes a person of interest. Uh, And then we also have, um, you mentioned before Eugene. So Eugene uh, is another student who is a very nice affinity with bees and he's played by Musa Mustafa. Oh, we have to mention Victor Durabuntu playing the disembodied thing. Yes, yes, of course. The thing does appear. And we've got a nice little sidekick situation going between him and Wednesday, uh, which I think is is quite a nice energy that they introduce. And we've also, I'll just quickly mention, in in town we've got a couple of quote-unquote normies as well. So we've got a sheriff who's very suspicious of anyone who goes to Nevermore. And then we've also got, of course, the sheriff's son who takes, a very in, takes interest in the students of Nevermore, more specifically Wednesday. So we're definitely... Um, we do see less of the actual Adams family. Sure, yeah. So we've got Morticia Adams as played by Catherine Zeta-Jones and Gomez Adams played by Luis Guzman. Uh, we don't see as much of them, to be fair, because we're really looking at this Nevermore um, Academy situation. We do get a visit from Fred Armisen, the comedian, playing Uncle Fester. Yes, I always love to see the, the casting of Uncle Fester. Uh, so Shaved his head and all. I know, good on him, good on him, really lean in. Uh, so I guess in terms, in interest of time, I'll just kind of run through a little bit of my thoughts. I think the take of doing it a bit like a whole Xavier's school for the gifted thing mixed with like the gothic Adams family stuff. I like the vibe of young adult monster boarding school mystery. It was different to what I thought it would be. Uh, I think the first couple of episodes do a good job of laying out the tone very much laying out the Jericho, which is the small town where Nevermore is set, uh, where Nevermore is um, adjacent to. So the dynamic of Jericho versus Nevermore Academy, normies versus outcasts and so on. So they do a really good job of setting all that up. Uh, it is quite funny and lighthearted, despite the fact that it um, has some dark elements and it goes into a little bit of, you know, there's some grotesque stuff because it is a murder mystery, of course. And I do think Jenna does a really nice job of delivering Wednesday's lines. She's charismatic, very easy to watch. I thought she was deadpan and delightful. 
Uh, and it's got also quite a modern vibe, which I wasn't expecting. What were your thoughts, Rob? I agree 100% with you. <laughs> I also love the location. Uh, it's actually filmed in Bucharest mm-hmm. and also in a genuine Transylvanian castle. Yeah, amazing. Which stands in pretty much as Nevermore Academy and also as the Adams family. Yeah. Because it's, it's not really their house, but yeah. it's a school, but it looks like the Adams family mansion. Yes. Um, and now we've really come up against time, but that is Wednesday. It is out on Netflix. Well worth checking out. Uh, Wednesday does, of course, play the cello. So let's see if we can squeeze in a little bit of her rendition of Paint It Black by the Rolling Stones. Mm. We'll pick it up later on this show. Yeah. And thank you to Ella Savage, our podcaster. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast at Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.